You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. For my life belongs to him who will raise the dead again. It don't matter where you bury me. I'll be home and I'll be free. It don't matter anywhere I lay. All my tears be washed away. Good morning. How are you all this morning? Will you turn to the person next to you and just say to them, Jesus really is alive. Go on. Now, as you'd expect this morning, um, the theme of today's message is kind of pre-decided, as you can imagine. We plan it well in advance. So today I'm going to be talking about the eschatological significance of the frog in the book of Leviticus. You'd be delighted to know. I'm only joking, let's come on, cheer up a small bit. This morning, I want to talk about, guess what, the resurrection. Now, I know we've kind of covered it a lot this morning, and I'd ask you sincerely not to fall asleep, because what we're talking about today, I've titled the message, The Last Enemy, Facing the Future with Faith. But let me tell you, as I prepared this message, I realized something that's very important, and something that has been on my mind, well, for as long as I can remember. And that is, I've got a bit of a problem. And it's time for me to tell you what my problem is. I, I, I've had this problem since I was born. It's just been one of those things that's been in the background all the time of my life. And my parents talked to me about it when I was growing up. The religious guys around me talked about it. My teachers, the odd time, spoke about it. Uh, the odd time I will talk to my wife and even my children about it. But this problem, no matter how much I talk about it, it, it never goes away. And it's a problem that I share with, with most of you, believe it or not, and you're the people that you live with. And for those of you who are married and have a husband this morning, I have bad news for you, your husband has this problem. Um, and for those of you who are married and have a wife this morning, I have bad news for you, your wife has the problem as well. And if you've got children, uh, your children have a problem. And if you happen to have cousins or nieces or nephews, they've got the problem too. We've all got the one problem. And here's our problem. We're all going to die. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Let us close in prayer. We're all going to die. One day, you will choke on a mint, get a heart attack in the bank as you look at your bank statement. You will be run over by a bus. You will come down in a plane. Your heart will clog because of all the rashers that you've eaten for years and years and years. Your blood pressure will finally pop something in you and you will be finished and you will be gone. And there may come a time when you do choke on that mint and somebody comes along and performs the Heimlich maneuver. Could I get a volunteer? <laughs> somebody will perform the Heimlich maneuver, but you will escape death that, death that day. But unfortunately, it'll be just to live to die another day. You'll get another death and it will come and get you. And you're glad you came this morning for a bit of good news. Amen. It will come and your life will be taken from you sometime ruthlessly. Whether you want it to go or not, it's going. No matter how much you do to hold on to it, it's going. Now, I hope you don't mind my saying this and I hope I'm not upsetting anybody. But I want to tell you this. Miley Cyrus is not going to tell you that you have an existential problem. 
Okay? Kim Kardashian is not going to tell you you're going to die. She's not going to do it. BMW or Apple are not going to put an advertising saying you're going to die someday. They don't want you to even think about it. But the Bible teaches us to think about it. It teaches us that we need to be thinking about it. I have the problem. You have the problem. Everyone you've ever known has had the problem. 90% of all the people who've ever lived have had the problem and it's come to visit them. What does the psalmist say? What man can live and not see death or save himself from the power of the grave? They started this um, business in, back in the 1980s called cryonics. And cryonics is the idea that you're able to freeze a body in a big, huge, we'll call it a big cylinder of liquid nitrogen only to raise up the body again or resuscitate the body at some other stage when science has caught up when science has finally figured out a way to cure my brain cancer, that I'm going to be woken up, sometimes it's only my head, so they're going to have to get me a cybernetic body or something, but um, you'll be woken up and you'll be saved. But I can tell you, if you're thinking of investing your money in cryogenics, don't waste your time. It doesn't work. It won't work. Death cannot be defeated by humanity. It's not possible. We cannot live forever. We want to live forever, but we can't live forever. Now, maybe this is something that's been on my mind because when I grew up, I grew up on a street that was literally 50 meters from the gates of a graveyard. Now, when you grow up near a graveyard, death tends to be on your mind a lot. Now, don't get me wrong. I wasn't around going, what is this existential crisis that I'm feeling every time I walk past this graveyard? We used to go and play hurling on a green area inside in the graveyard, which happened to be the grave for thousands of people, as it turns out. We didn't know it at the time. We wouldn't have hurled on it if it was. I'll tell you, we were too creeped out. I spent some of my teenage years in the summer times, my 15th and 16th year in the summertime, actually hanging around or talking with, on a number of days, the grave diggers who worked in the graveyard. You know, I used to, I needed to get out more often, as you can tell. And they would be digging the grave. And this was, this was in the bad old days when grave diggers had shovels, like the Frankenstein movies. They had shovels. And as they would dig the graves, and we would be conversing about this, that, and the other thing, suddenly there would be a dunk. And do you know what that dunk was? It wasn't buried treasure, I can assure you. <laughs> and they would dig, and very often, literally body parts, bones would be dug up out of the grave. And these guys were so familiar, they would literally flick up a human skull on a shovel and drop it out of the grave as though they had just picked up a football. It was nothing to them. But I, as an existentially minded 16-year-old, was horrified at this sight. You know, here's the thing. For a lot of people, they became Christians because um, they, over time, began to believe the philosophy of Jesus Christ. For some people... Over a period of time, they became convinced that the teaching of Jesus was the correct teaching and all other teaching was erroneous. For some people, it was a period of time of which God spoke to them in certain ways and maybe their partner became a Christian first and they were eroded, as it were, into the kingdom of God. But for me, it was really simple. When I heard the good news, I didn't want to let that opportunity go. Christians have a funny relationship with death. Do you know that? Let me tell you how some Christians have a funny relationship with death. This is recorded about believers in the book of Hebrews. Talking about some Christians that said others were tortured, refusing to turn from God to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. 
They didn't invest everything they have just in this life. They believed that there was more than just this life. And I know I'm, you know, I know I'm not saying anything that's unusual to you. But sometimes we need to take this on board because our lives can become so crammed with everything from children and careers and cars and something else that begins with C that isn't coming to mind at the moment. Sometimes our lives can be so filled with these things that we can begin to forget that this life is not all that there is. That this life is temporary. It is short in the context of eternity. It is short and all of our troubles now are nothing compared to what is to come that is blessing for us. But I want to take you back to the original story and just have a very quick look at some points. Just one verse that's taken from Matthew, or two verses taken from Matthew's gospel. And it's from the story of the resurrection of Jesus. Each of the four gospels records the resurrection of Jesus. Now here's the thing. It all hangs on Jesus rising from the grave. It all hangs in it. Everything hangs in it. Everything we believe hangs on that one reality. If he did rise, then everything he said we need to pay serious attention to. If he didn't rise, then that's different. And the people that you speak to every day and you tell them about Jesus or this Jesus you believe in, I hope you do tell them, I'm sure you do, or get some opportunity to tell them, one of the issues they're going to have is, really? He rose from that. You don't seriously believe that, do you? And nowadays, amongst a certain intellectual elite, it's just considered ridiculous, this idea that somebody would rise from the dead. Here's what Matthew's gospel records. Two women, Mary, the two Marys went to the tomb of Jesus. It says, when the, the angels spoke to the women, when they got there, they saw an angel. He, he said, don't be afraid. Fantastic words as ever. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. And we can become so familiar with these scriptures and go, actually, yeah, like, they just showed up and Jesus wasn't there. It was, like, grand. You know, and they, they kind of said, showed up and said, Jesus wasn't there. It was, like, the angel and everything was, like, oh, everything was just fine. And, you know, there were maybe, we, we kind of become so familiar with this that we, real, we, we forget the import and the power of these words and this event. You see, I don't know, has anybody here ever had a relative belong to them die? My, my father died on this weekend 13 years ago. And by the way, on the subject of anniversaries, today is the second anniversary of Grace Christian Church actually being in the building here, so praise God for that. Just thought I'd mention it. Isn't that good? Anyway. My father died a number of years ago. Now, I must say, if you put yourself into that situation, if you had arrived at the funeral home after your relative died, arrived three days after the event, and you went in and spoke to the funeral director, hello, and the you know, funeral director is always the same. They always kind of, they always have this face, hello, how are you? And I'd say when they're out in the pub, they're, they're, they're laughing, and they're kind of, hello, how are you? Lovely to see you. You know, that's kind of the funereal atmosphere. But if you called into the funeral home, like I did, a few days after my father died, and I said, look, I'd like to see the body of my father. And he said, no, your dad, he left about five minutes ago. He walked out the door. I would get a heart attack. That's what I would get. You would get a heart attack too. If the same had happened for my mother, I would go, what? What do you mean? What do you mean? She walked out the door. And you see, we can become so familiar with the story. You think that the women arrived and bloody blad all happened. This lads was so out of left field, it was unbelievable. Because back then, the ancients, the people 2,000 years ago, didn't believe any more than people today do that people who are dead just come back to life. Now, some people think, you know, well, the story kind of, you know, the, 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 the ancient people, the people 
people 2,000 years ago, they were a bit naive and they were a bit superstitious and they were prone to a little bit of, you know, hysteria, um, becoming hysterical or whatever. And so therefore they began to believe that Jesus was rose, even though they didn't really see it all happen. Well, that's not entirely true either because the culture of the time, the Jews didn't believe that people would rise from the dead. The pagans at the time didn't believe that people would rise from the dead. There is no history in that time of a belief of people just getting up and rising from the dead. What did happen an awful lot under the Romans was that a lot of people like Jesus ended up getting crucified. The reason they were crucified, as my son the other day wanted to know, why was it that they crucified and didn't cut off his head? Well, they said it was very simple. They wanted to make an example to other people. When you saw a guy crucified on the cross and you walked past him, you said, I'm going to obey the law because I don't want to end up there. A lot of people... A lot of leaders who rose up, dozens of them, and declared themselves the Messiahs, ended up being crucified by the Romans. And then their organizations and their movements finished and ended. But only one movement, only one movement moved on. Only one movement actually gained momentum after the death of its leader. It just doesn't make any sense, unless, of course, it happens to be true. Let's read what Paul writes to the Corinthians, because if you might think that the Gospels are the earliest stories of the resurrection of Jesus, they're not. The earliest written accounts about the resurrection are actually written by Paul in the letter of 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the whole, the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 15 is dedicated to the subject of a resurrection. And here's what Paul begins to write. He says, let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. Christ died for our sins just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day just as the scripture said. They knew Paul, when he looked at the scripture, could see that there was a plan and a purpose for God. But he didn't realize it until after it had happened. He goes on to say this, and this is really important, lads. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive. They were still alive at the time when Paul wrote this. Most of these 500 who had seen Jesus alive were still uh, alive at the time of Paul writing this. And he goes on to say, at last he was seen by James, that is James, the brother of Jesus, who was the leader of the church in Jerusalem, and later by all the apostles. And last of all, I also saw him. Now, either these 500 people were all having hallucinations, were all on the magic mushrooms of Judea of the time, were taking the LSD of their age, or they actually did see Jesus Christ actually standing before them, resurrected in his body. Now, you see... The reason I'm saying this to you is because I know that most of you believe that the resurrection happened. And you're going, yeah, but the people you talk to don't believe that the resurrection happened. And they go, they make up some other reason why the church was so successful and why it's so exploded. And they make some, up, some other excuse as to why this philosophy really took hold. Well, do you know something? I like what Blaise Pascal said. He said this about, about the stories of the early apostles. He said, I believe the testimony of people who get their throats cut. I believe people who died for what they say happened. If this didn't happen, if this was a makey-uppy story, why would these men and women die for that story? Why on earth, at the last moment, when you're given the chance to recant and the fire is being lit at your feet, 
Would you, at that moment, kind of go, do you know what? Maybe I made it all up. Maybe at that moment, that one thing that's in you, the strongest instinct in you, that self-preservation instinct would take over and go, actually, no, I made it all up. No, instead, they went willingly. They were beheaded willingly. They were crucified willingly. They were tortured willingly. They would not deny that they, had, they wouldn't deny what they had seen with their own eyes. And that was the power of the gospel message. Because all the other messiahs and all the other prophets, they didn't rise again. But Jesus Christ actually got up out of his actual grave. And he goes on to say this. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that, Christ, in that case, all who died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are to be more pitied than anyone else in the world. And that's why it all hangs on it. That's why it all hangs on it. If Christ has not been raised, then our faith is useless. If Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, we are just adding to global warming singing our worship songs. We're just having a nice kumbaya when there's no one to kumbaya. We're just lifting up our hands to cool the temperature. That's all we're doing. We're giving each other hugs because we're feeling insecure. We're greeting one another, blessing one another in the name of, well, who knows what, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead. If he hasn't gotten up out of that grave, you wasted your time getting up out of your bed this morning and coming to church. Sorry, I hate to say it to you. If you're here this morning and you believe you're a Christian, but you don't believe Jesus rose from the dead, you're not a Christian. I hate to say it to you. I don't want to be the person to say it to you, but if you don't believe Jesus rose from the dead, you just think, I really like the philosophy of Jesus. <laughs> if that's your approach and you don't believe that he rose from the grave, I'm sorry, you can take all the philosophy you like, but you are not a Christian. Because this is at the absolute heart. It all rises or it all falls. Look, Paul, he goes on to say, and if our hope is in Christ for this life only, we are to be more pitied than anyone else in the world. There go the Christians, sure God love us. Now, lads, I don't care whether you like my saying this or not, but when Paul describes us as aliens, or sorry, when Peter describes us as aliens and strangers in the world, what he means is that our message is kind of alien and it's kind of strange, like, you know? I mean, if you were not a Christian believer and you came in here and saw these people lifting up their hands and going, oh, praise the name of the Lord our God, you're going, what on earth are they talking about? What are they getting so excited about? I have an atheist cousin. I hope you're not listening on the internet, but I won't say her name, Mary. I have an atheist cousin, and she, she says, you know, she's not an atheist. She, she met somebody once, and she said, this is my cousin, Michael. He is, uh, I am an atheist. He is atheist. <laughs> Awful joke, wasn't it? Even I didn't laugh. But she says, you know, I, I really like the work that Grace Church is doing. She says, yeah, it's just such a supportive community. You know, the way you come alongside each other and, you know, listen to one another and encourage one another and make a cup of tea for each other. I think it is such a lovely community. But I said, but you don't believe in God. Oh, no, she says, you're nuts. You're completely nuts. <laughs> so if you want to have a lovely, warm community, go right ahead. But if you don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, you're not a Christian. You're wasting your time. We're just adding to global warming. And he goes on to say this, and I think this is really important. Paul says, and if our hope is in Christ for this life only, we are to be more pitied than anyone in the world. So if, if all we've got is the hope that we will get 
a better marriage, a better car, a better career, um, better health. If that's all we hope for, we, we really are to be pitied. Because we can get that elsewhere. What we can't get is eternal life. You can't get that anywhere else. That's when, Jesus, that's when Peter said to Jesus, Lord, to whom else will we go? You have the words of eternal life. And the reason I became a Christian was not because I believed the philosophy of Jesus Christ, not because I thought, you know, I really am convinced of these proofs. This is why I became a Christian, because Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Who believes this? I believe this. That's what Jesus said. He said, Martha, Martha, do you believe this? And she said, well, I'm not so sure. That's what she said, loosely translated from the original Hebrew or the original Greek there. I, this is why I became a Christian, because I didn't want to die. Sorry. Here's the best presse of the gospel ever written. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You all know it. You can probably say it backwards. And if you do, don't. That could be kind of a strange kind of a chant. But anyway, <laughs> God loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish. Will not perish will not be destroyed, will not go up in flames, look at the original Greek, will not be completely erased. I did not want to be completely erased. I did not want to perish. I did not want to die. And when I heard the news that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life, I said, that is news that is really, truly good. That's the news I want at work in my life. And I tell you, if you are here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, that is good news for you too. You just have to believe. You have to believe in Jesus Christ and what he's done. Believe that he rose from the grave. Believe he took your sins away and you will have everlasting life. You see, Paul continues to write in that chapter in Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 15. He says this, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. That is the last enemy to be destroyed. And you see, we can think, yeah, but isn't death destroyed? No, it isn't destroyed. Because if death isn't destroyed, all the funeral homes in Ireland would be out of business if that was the case. Death is not destroyed. Death is defeated, but it is not destroyed. And if you look at the Bible from Genesis chapter 1 right through to the end of Revelation, you'll discover something interesting. If you really stand back and look at it, there really is only one enemy if you look at the Bible and it's around. The real enemy is death. The real enemy is losing your mortal life and having no hope afterwards. That is the real, real enemy. The Bible describes Satan as an enemy, but the bottom line enemy, why? Because he was able to deliver and deal death. And that is how he was defeated at the cross. His power of delivering death was taken away. So Paul then continues to write this a bit further on the chapter. He says, then, and this is the promise to us, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. 
Oh, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? You see, that verse is not yet fulfilled. I'm sorry if I offend anybody, but that verse is not fulfilled because Paul says then, at a time in the future, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. And he's quoting Hosea chapter 8. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? I spoke to somebody whose relative died about two years ago, and they said, you know, I'm really struggling with this problem. You know, with this problem of believing God's word. And I said, in what way? They said, well, my relative died. In this case, the mother had died. I said, my mother has died. And I'm really feeling the pain of her death. And I'm, I'm saying, but doesn't the Bible say it, that the death, the sting of death is gone? Doesn't the, doesn't the Bible say, you know, that you know, death has been defeated and, and it's destroyed and it's gone? And I said, no, it doesn't say that. It says a day will come when death will be destroyed. And in the meantime, we feel its sting. When somebody that you love dies, you feel the sting of death. You feel the reality of what death is like. I remember 13 years ago, my father died on Good Friday, 13 years ago, so it was almost on the same day as last Friday. He died on Good Friday uh, 13 years ago. And I remember the night that he died. He was hooked up to loads of machines and there was breathing apparatus and there was pipes in his mouth and he was on a ventilator and they were rising and falling. We were watching his heart on the oscilloscope as, as his heart began to slow down. And the doctors came in and said, look, you might want to stay around because he doesn't have much longer left. And, the, and as we watched, the heartbeat began to slow down and slowly it got down to about 42 beats per minute. And we watched slowly as the heartbeat slowed and slowed and slowed. And as I stood there and I watched my dad, I was praying for him. And as I watched my dad begin to slip away in life, I felt the sting of death. I felt the sting of death because I loved my dad. He wasn't a perfect dad, but I loved my dad. And I felt that sting deep in my soul. And I thought, but I thought the sting of death was defeated. Not yet. It is, but it's not yet. And I remember looking at him and praying for him. And I, I happened to be at the end of the bed and I was holding his foot. I like having my foot rubbed, so I was rubbing my dad's foot. Um, and I was looking at him and I was thinking about him. And then next thing somebody came in and said, he's gone. He's been gone for the last three minutes. And all the lines and all the and all this monitors were all flat, single flat lined. And then I realized how important what Jesus did applies to us. Because that is my lot. Someday, by God's grace, I may not choke on a mint and might go down in a heap, I don't know. Someday my line is gonna go flat. Someday your line is going to go flat. But in that moment, we have hope in Jesus Christ.
Because the Bible describes him as the firstborn from the grave. He was the first to rise up. Another translation says he was the first of the harvest. And Paul says, if that happened to Jesus, it's going to happen to you. And if this same Jesus who rose from the dead, he rose up and he was transformed, you're also going to be transformed. That is the hope for the believer. And while we see the sting of death now, it is the sting of a dying wasp. It is a sting of a dying wasp. It still sticks in a sting. Now for the believer... There is less of a sting. But for those who are left behind, those are the ones who really feel it. But for the believer himself, the, the, the venom is taken from the sting because Jesus Christ has overcome death. I love it when John is writing in the book of Revelation. Remember, the Revelation is the, is the other end of the story that started in the book of Genesis and all the death that happened in the meantime and all the amazing things that happened in the meantime. And we get to this stage and John is an old man and he's been exiled to this island, an island called Patmos, just off the coast of um, Turkey. So he's just off the coast of Turkey. He's working there, believably, believed to be in the salt mines there, and he's an old man. And then one day, he has a vision. And he has a vision on this island, and he sees Jesus Christ. He sees the risen Jesus Christ, and he sees him in all of his glory. He doesn't see a frail, weak person who was put into the grave. He doesn't see a broken body. He sees an amazing body before him. He sees an amazing, radiant, powerful Jesus Christ. And I love when he says this. He says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever. And this is the important one. And I hold the keys of death and of the grave. I have the keys of death and of the grave. That's what he has, the keys of death and of the grave. I was dead, but I'm alive. And the keys are really, really useful. That means that he can open the grave. He can open and undo death because he has the keys, because he defeated death in the first place. And when you look around the table today at your family eating dither, whether they're believers or not believers, he holds the keys of the grave and of death for them. He doesn't just hold it for us, but he holds it for the people that we know and that we love. But on the other side, the same key that opens, is the key that locks. And put into the hands of Jesus Christ has been the judgment of all souls, of all men. So when he locks the grave, it is closed. But when he opens the grave, it is open. I love it, he says. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I was dead. I won't do the bang my head off the ground thing. You wouldn't like the concussion. I fell at his feet as if I was dead. Now, if this was a frail, weak... Now, I, if, if, if I saw my father walking out of the funeral home after three days, I probably would have fell at my feet as if I was dead. But, Jane, but John stands there and he falls at his feet as though he's dead. And I love the first words of Jesus. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I hold the keys of death and of the grave. Paul, way back again in Corinthians, writes this. And Tom quoted it a while ago, just at the end of the worship. He said this. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. The Spirit of God, 
who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. I don't care this morning if you're a Christian believer, if you're rich, poor, struggling with anxiety, if you're looking for um, a wife or a husband, I don't care if you're sick this morning, the Bible says this, if the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, he says this, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. That's very good news, all right? I'm glad I came to church this morning. I can't wait to go home for my Easter eggs. Lads, 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 death is defeated. We have hope. We have hope. I would like us to quote this verse together, and I want you to take it in. Will you stand up? And we're going to change something in it. I'm going to take liberty. If the same Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in me, and just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to my mortal body by the same Spirit living within me. Let's say it together. One, two, three. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in me. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to my mortal body by this same Spirit living in me. Hallelujah. Living in me. I think we should pray. I think it's a good idea to pray. Are you up for praying? I want to pray two things. You know, that Spirit brings life to our mortal bodies in this life now also. It also, in this time, brings life to it. It's the same spirit that heals as raises from the dead. Isn't that right? The same spirit. And that is the import of what Paul is saying. It's not just for the by and by, even though it is, praise God, but it's also for the now. I'm going to ask that God would bring his life into our lives. That God's spirit would move in our bodies, that we will be healed and restored in mind, heart, and body. You up to pray that? Can I ask the worship team to come up? We're going to sing Happy Day as we close this morning. But just before they do, I'm going to ask, would, I'm going to ask you, would you please close your eyes just for a second? Now, I don't know whether there's anybody here this morning who doesn't know Jesus Christ. If anybody here who is not a Christian inside in this hall this morning. But I want to reach out to you this morning if you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian this morning and say to you, God loved you so much that he gave his only son so that if you believe him, you will not perish, but you will have everlasting life. Are you willing to say this morning, I believe in that Jesus Christ. I want that everlasting life. I'm willing to accept Jesus Christ so that I can receive that everlasting life. Can we close our eyes for a moment, guys? Can we close our eyes on the stage and on the floor? If you're here this morning, you want to say, Lord, I want to accept your eternal life. 
this morning. I want to believe in you. I want to declare that I believe in you. And I want to receive your eternal life this morning. If that's you and you're here this morning and you want to pray that prayer, would you raise your hand? I see your hands. Praise God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray for all of those this morning, Lord, who raised up their hands, Lord. There's four people who raised their hands. I've asked you, Lord Jesus Christ, that you would take residence in their lives and in their hearts, Lord. That your Holy Spirit would move in, Lord Jesus. Lord, that you would take those same keys that unlock the grave and unlock death and unlock those hearts, Lord Jesus. And unlock those lives, Lord. And let their full potential in Jesus Christ come to pass, Lord. To bring your forgiveness, bring your life, your hope. In Jesus' name and God's people said... Amen. Amen. Let's all pray. Let's all pray. Can I ask you to lift your hands? Let's all pray this morning. Today is Resurrection Sunday. We declare this morning that Jesus actually, really, physically rose from the grave. And because of that, everything changes. Everything changes. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray for everyone who's got their hands up this morning, Lord. You said, the spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, in you, Lord. And he will bring life to your mortal bodies. Lord, we thank you for the promise of resurrection for the believer. With an Amen. Amen. Lord, I also pray, however, that now, Lord, we would know your life at work in our lives, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray for those this morning who need physical healing or psychological healing, Lord, or who need your provision, Lord, let your Holy Spirit come to life in them and bring life to their physical bodies and to their physical experience today, Lord, as a down payment, Lord, of the everlasting life. Your word says that we have received your Holy Spirit as a down payment, guaranteeing our inheritance, Lord Jesus. Father, I pray that we would take that um, deposit today, Lord, and that it would come to life in our lives, Lord. Revive marriages, Lord. Revive uh, depressed minds, Lord. Lord, give peace to anxious minds, Lord. Revive physical sickness this morning, Lord Jesus. And as the, the writer of the psalmist said, Lord, restore our fortunes. Bring your life to life in our life. Today and all of this week, in Jesus' mighty name and God's people said, Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, it is good news. And when you talk to someone this week and they want to know what's the gig with the Christian thing, buddy, it's about a Savior who physically, actually, literally rose from the grave. If they accept that, then everything changes. Let's sing Happy Day, the greatest day in history. Stay in history. The dead is beaten, you have rescued me. Sing it out, Jesus is alive. The empty cross, the empty grave. Life eternal, you have won the day. Shout it out, Jesus is alive. He's alive, and oh, happy day. 
wash my sin away. Oh, happy day, happy day. I'll never be the same. Forever I am changed. When I stand in that place. Last meeting face to face I am yours Jesus you are mine Hallelujah Endless joy Perfect peace Early pain Finally we'll sing Celebrate Jesus is alive He's alive He's alive And no Way. He saved us that you have saved me and oh what a glorious day let's clap our hands what a glorious way have saved me and oh happy day happy day you wash my sin away oh happy day that all this coming week you would bring the aroma of life with you the people would smell the resurrection from you at work in school in college on the street at home may everyone here be a wonderful ambassador of the one who defeated death god bless you and yours thank you for joining us we're serving coffee and tea upstairs in the atrium. God bless you. We hope we'll see you Tuesday night or Wednesday night or maybe for the baptisms. The guys are going to play us out as we make our way.